Hello, and welcome to Independent Thinking, the weekly podcast from Chatham House. I'm Bronwyn Maddox, the director. This week, we're doing things a little differently. Regular listeners of the podcast will know that our episodes land every Friday morning. Well, this week, you're getting a bonus one, ahead of the Christmas break. I recently attended the Doha Forum Conference in Qatar, and while I was there, I spoke with Dr. Majed Al-Ansari, the official spokesperson for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, about the war between Hamas and Israel, the subject that has dominated this 20-year-old conference. We talked about the role that Qatar has played as a key negotiator between the two sides on releasing the hostages, even before, though, the attacks of October 7th, and we talked about where the conflict might go next. Let me start by discussing Israel-Palestine, which has been one of the inescapable topics of this conference going on on the stage as we're talking right now. Is a ceasefire likely to come again? The Prime Minister was saying yesterday that people shouldn't be too hasty in expecting that. We have been working on this issue from uh, day one in the task force that was assigned. And uh, this is not our first rodeo. We have been doing these mediations since 2006 when we were approached by the United States to open a channel of communication with uh, with Hamas. And we have been successful so many times in averting war through mediation uh, between both, uh, both sides. And obviously this is a volatile uh, region and uh, there has been a lot of escalation, especially in the last year, where we mediated at least two times an agreement between uh, both sides, the last of which was on the 28th of September, just a week before these uh, attacks on the 7th of, uh, of October. And uh, while a lot of relentless work uh, and undeterred uh, objectivity went into the first part, uh, we have seen, of course, that it was not sustainable. And therefore, we are now still uh, working. We haven't stopped. Our negotiators are working around the clock 24-7 to make sure that uh, a second truce can be uh, reached and that this truce would be sustainable and would offer a more robust agreement over the hostage issue, but also over the humanitarian situation in Gaza. Let me just ask you what, about one point. You said back in September you were mediating between the two sides. Do you think there was an opportunity in retrospect to head off this attack by Hamas? There were so many lost opportunities in, uh, in this issue that we have uh, seen on both sides. But uh, sadly, a combination of radical policies uh, towards the Palestinians and radicalization of the Palestinians has resulted in these chances being uh, lost and never redeemed. Uh, there was a point in, in recent history where we saw a speech that was much less radical by, uh, by the Palestinians and policies that would have led to, to more peaceful resolutions on the Israeli side. And this is a situation I think we, all of us in the international community should work uh, towards. Right now we are losing uh, a lot of steam for peace, but uh, we can't lose hope. We can't afford to lose hope. What has to happen now for there to be another truce or ceasefire? That's a very difficult question. There are a lot of difficulties and challenges towards uh, the mediation, but uh, certainly uh, we have to get pressure from the international community and namely from the United States over Israel to accept uh, a truce, a long-lasting truce. This war is not helping anybody. It's not helping the cause of safety and security for the Israelis or for the Palestinians. And the level of atrocities we are seeing coming out of Gaza right now is only helping the cause of the radicals. It's not helping the cause of those who are uh, calling for uh, for peace. And we need to make sure that this does not become a regional conflict. We have uh, till now been able to make sure that there is no serious spillover of this conflict. But if that happens, all of us together cannot do anything to, to contain the aftermath. Where is the spillover that you most worry about? Obviously, what's happening in the West Bank is very worrying because we have seen two years ago what happens when the West Bank erupts and that 
could drive inside Israel to the Palestinian community inside Israel. But of course, the northern front right now with what is happening between Hezbollah and, and Israel is very concerning. That said, we we are also concerned by the attacks on American forces in uh, in Iraq and the targeting of ships in, uh, in the Red Sea. On these both sides of this uh, conflict, we are seeing a widening of the scope beyond the current parameters of the conflict that, as I said, will not be able, no, nobody will be able to contain it once it, once it erupts. Do you think Israel will achieve its goal of eradicating Hamas? The problem here is in understanding what Hamas is. Hamas is an idea, and ideas are not eradicated by military means. That has not happened in, in recent history. You know, bigger powers with much lesser adversaries were unable to eradicate ideas. We, as collectively, as an international community, waged a war against terrorism for so many years, and we still have the same terrorist group we started with, working in different locales with the same uh, justifications of what they are doing. And therefore, the only way to beat an idea to, to eradicate it is to provide another idea, to, to provide hope to a hopeless people. And this is what we are uh, working towards here. The only way out of this is to reach an agreement that would end with Palestinian statehood, with hope for the Palestinian people, with prosperity for the Palestinian people. And that is the only way for both sides to live next to each other in peace. Israel would add to that and Israeli security. Do you see the possibility of a deal, however remote, coming out of this that achieves Palestinian statehood and Israeli security? It depends on how the Israelis view their own security, because if they view their own security as being uh, reached through massacring civilians and bulldozing uh, buildings and, and roads and killing off a whole nation, then this is certain this will not bring any security to uh, to the Israelis or to anybody else in uh, in the region. The only way forward, as I said, is to provide hope for the Palestinians. Now the Palestinians are a hopeless people. They don't see any hope in peace. They have chosen peace in Oslo. And as a result of that, they have less land than they had right now. They have less rights. And they their Palestinian authority has been delegitimized because of these uh, policies. The only way forward is to, to for them to believe that they have a partner for peace that would allow them to prosper next to them and live in a way that other nations in the world are living. The people who are now in famine in northern Gaza, just a few kilometers away from them, people live in prosperity in, in Israel. As long as that is the case, that one people can't find any safety and security or hope for their uh, children and the other party enjoys uh, prosperity, you will always have this problem. The only way forward is to create hope for the Palestinians. I want to explore this a bit, but we, as we both know, this has gone on for a long time. There were very much two sides to this, and Israel's concern about security, it would say, has been only emphasized by the uh, horrific attacks on October 7th on, on Israeli people. Just coming back to this point about what a road to Palestinian statehood and Israeli security might be, do you think it requires a change of leadership on both sides? I think we in the world are facing a leadership problem, not only in Palestine and Israel. And that leadership problem has been apparent in all the conflicts we have seen. There is less leaders around the world. There are less leaders around the world who are willing to have the difficult discussions, to take the difficult decisions, even if they were not popular. And there are more leaders who are willing to politicize and for uh, limited political gain, take decisions that would endanger the lives of their own people and peoples in other uh, places. And this is you know, the embedment of this uh, crisis and other crises around uh, around the world. But we do need uh, leadership. I think first, first and foremost, we should have a unified Palestinian voice. This schism between the Palestinians has only exacerbated the situation. And we need Palestinian-Palestinian discussion over uh, leadership. Nobody else should impose on the Palestinians how they choose their own leaders, but they should be enabled 
to choose their own leaders, enabled to hold elections, enabled to represent their own uh, people and not delegitimize through the policies of the occupation. And on the other side, the radical language, the rhetoric, the calling for eradicating the Palestinians, calling Palestinians animals and cockroaches, this kind of language is not the language of peace. This is language that would actually make people more radicalized on the other side and get your own people to believe in the other side, dehumanize the other side in a way that we have seen right now where where soldiers are taking pictures happily in front of naked, dehumanized Palestinians or bodies of Palestinian civilians or bombing uh, Palestinian uh, legislative buildings and courts and uh, and schools and seeing this as something they are doing for their own security. Unless you have a leadership that is willing to say, we are in the line for peace, we are in the belief that peace can only be achieved through dialogue, then it is very difficult to convince your people of the same. I'm not here to defend Israel or Palestinians, but I, I would say that while you're talking about atrocities and pictures on one side, we obviously have had a week of horrible reports about violence against particularly Israeli women on October 7th. So let's just um, bear that in mind in the picture. But let's come back to this question of Palestinian leadership. And you talk about uh, a unified Palestinian leadership, as many people do. How do we get there from here? Well, first and foremost, we end this war. And when that happens, we need to have a very clear and frank discussions amongst us in the international community. Because what happened in 2006 is when in, uh, the Palestinians had elections and Hamas won these elections, the whole world isolated the Palestinian government and uh, decided that they would choose the leadership on behalf of the Palestinians. And this led to the radicalization that we are seeing right now. So the step forward would be to accept the choice of the Palestinian people and to work with the choice of Palestinian people towards uh, something that the international community could uh, accept. Now, I, I understand that it would not be politically correct right now to say that we need to think of the future of the Palestinian people that includes Hamas, but we also need to realize that Hamas is not Al-Qaeda, it's not ISIS. It's a group that enjoys a lot of popularity in the Arab and Muslim world. In the refugee camps of the Palestinians, they enjoy a lot of popularity. So they are not situated in, in Gaza in a limited capacity. They have thousands of supporters in the Palestinian cause. So we need to think of the Palestinians as a whole. We can't segment them according to who we we like and who we, we don't. And we need to, to be open to considering, like we did in Northern Ireland, like we did in other uh, places, to considering how to, uh, that, that these militant groups, how they are going to be inducted into the, into the political process. Fatah was a militant group that conducted terrorist activities outside of, uh, of Palestine, and they ended up being the partner for peace. So we shouldn't think of this as an impossibility on any other uh, group. When you give people hope, you end up with more choices. And that is something that voices within Fatah have discussed as well about whether Hamas has to be part of this solution. Do you think that that is something that the international community could be persuaded to accept? And there are many voices, obviously, within the international community. Of course, uh, as you uh, rightly mentioned at, uh, at the end, the international community is not one voice when it comes to dealing with this. I know in the Western world, there's a lot of clarity on the position towards uh, Hamas. On our perspective, we have said, if you cannot imagine a Palestinian uh, community or society or state without uh, Hamas, then you need to give an alternative to the Palestinian people. And certainly choosing on behalf of the Palestinians who will lead them has not worked in, in the past and will not work uh, now. I know that this is, this is a moment of heightened uh, emotions and all of us are, we, we're questioning our humanity as a result of this uh, crisis. But further down the line, the only way out of this is for us to have frank discussions where we will accept concessions all of us, 
that are now now seem completely unacceptable to to all of us but we will be losing a very important opportunity if we didn't have these uh, discussions and if we have these discussions in a very frank way and not using the rhetoric of the politicians but the reality of the ground so if the US or indeed Israel say look Hamas is a terrorist group we can and who was responsible for these atrocities we cannot have them as part of the solution uh, does that then bring a halt to the kind of road ahead what will happen to the palestinians as a result we have been uh, discussing this for a really long time now even before the 7th of october sidelining the palestinian issue sidelining a faction of the palestinians that ha- enjoys uh, high popularity has only resulted in the picture we have right now the only way to de-radicalize those who are radicalized is to induct them into the, into the political process and to listen to all voices in the political process we can't have a position that is one-sided towards what's happening in Palestine right now. And if we wanted a unified Palestinian voice, we have to be inclusive in speaking about all Palestinians, not only Palestinians in the West Bank or Palestinians in certain uh, political uh, factions. And again, this is an idea. It will live on beyond whatever military measures are are taken. And it will only get more radicalized if we isolate them completely. Mm. The only way is engagement. And we, through the political office here in Doha, our engagement has helped in a lot of instances, in averting war, as early as uh, Ramadan last last year, we were expecting an escalation from the Palestinian side, but it never happened because of the mediation work. So with engagement, with working with them, and with setting very clear lines in the sand of what is acceptable and not acceptable in the international community, we can bring everybody to the table. What do you think the role is of the US in this? I'm very struck by this conference now, which is a rich mixture of voices even if there is one central subject, which is Israel and, and Palestine, though there are, there, are, there are many others. There was China, there was Russia. We had Sergei Lavrov speaking yesterday, the Iranian um, minister later today. There are U.S. voices here, but fewer. When I first came to the Doha Forum, which has been running for 20 years now, it was very much about Iraq and about the U.S. role in the region. And I'm really struck how the conversation has changed and indeed the US's role in the region has changed in that time. What do you think the US's role could most usefully be in resolving this particular dispute? Obviously we pride ourselves in the uh, Doha Forum of being a platform that all parties can uh, utilize regardless of uh, how much we agree or disagree with uh, with them and this is why you see this diversity in, uh, in attendance. You know we have more than 1,600 guests coming in from all around the world, speaking on different issues, as you uh, probably saw in the, uh, yesterday and, uh, and today. But uh, obviously, there are a lot of questions about the role of the U.S. in the region over here. And I can uh, testify to the fact that the U.S. is still engaged in the region. We might disagree with them on some of their policies regarding some of what's happening in the region here. Uh, we might not see eye to eye when it comes to the situation right now in uh, in Gaza. But we appreciate how the strategic relationship we have with the with the U.S. here in uh, in Qatar. The Aludate base here houses more than uh, 11,000 servicemen and women of the U.S. along with NATO armies that uh, are present here also in uh, in the capacity of their air forces. We are working with them on this issue and other issues, you know, very closely. We would like to see American leadership being more open and more direct. We understand what, what, what does more open and more direct mean? We need more discussions, serious discussions on the on the concerns of the people of this uh, region. This region has for a long time, the future of this region was decided from outside the region. We need a discussion with the region, 
we are sharing the burden here in uh, in the region, you know, countries like Qatar, Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and others, the UAE in the region have been sharing the burden a lot, but have been getting very little say when it comes to the future of uh, of this region in coordination with, uh, with the US. And I think that's something that we need right now. The discussion right now over this crisis takes into account all the concerns of Israeli security, but very little is there concerned for the risk on our security in the region here, because it's not only the Palestinians uh, which we work for towards their peace and, and prosperity, but it's also the peace and prosperity for other people in, in the region that is affected by, by this. And we need more frank discussions. And we need also for the U.S. to apply its leverage for peace. We understand that uh, the U.S. is allied with Israel, but it's also allied with other parties here in, uh, in the region. And protecting Israel is not always by providing a carte blanche for it to do whatever it wants. Protecting Israel is through guiding it towards the policies that would protect its own people and provide safety and security for its people. We have U.S. elections next year. At the moment, just this week, it goes backwards and forwards, but at the moment, Joe Biden is not doing quite so well in the polls. Does it make an enormous difference to this conflict here about who wins? I think the, the main issue here is, can this conflict be viewed as not a political element of the political discourse in the United States, I think it's very difficult to, to do that. And it will always be part of the political discourse within the United States and part of the political polarization within the United States. We have seen this happen, not with this administration only, but with the consecutive administrations since the beginning of U.S. engagement with uh, the Palestinian-Israeli, uh, the Arab-Israeli conflict. And therefore, while we are always concerned at uh, the change of pace that is due to democratic uh, change of, uh, of leadership, we know that we are working with the institutions in, uh, in the U.S. We're working with the intelligence apparatus. We're working with the military apparatus. We're working with the State Department. And we are hoping that the institutional side of the United States uh, government will prevail at, uh, at the end. Obviously, when there is an election year, there's always uh, a lot of tension over a lot of uh, issues, including the war now that's happening in, uh, in Gaza. But as I said, we have a problem with uh, leadership all around the world right now. We need you know, less consideration for electoral points and more consideration for lives in order to get uh, out of this. And obviously, when you have an election year as big as the U.S. election, this always, you know, takes uh, a backseat. My final question about another election, uh, the British one. Does Britain have any role in this? Obviously, and we've been working with our partners in the U.K. now since the beginning of this, first on the hostage release and the evacuations uh, from, uh, from Gaza, but also on how we can approach both sides. And there's a historical relationship between Britain and the region, but also between a special relationship between the U.K. and Israel. And we need to use all venues we have collectively to pressure both sides to end this war. And we appreciate highly, of course, the support we've been getting from uh, the UK uh, over this. Our prime minister was working uh, first with Minister Cleverly and then with uh, Lord Cameron. And we are hopeful that we can continue this, uh, this pace. But we must pressure all our partners that all of us collectively should call for a ceasefire. The parties of this conflict should hear a unified voice from the international community, end the war now. On that note, we are going to have to stop. Dr. Majid Allah Ansari, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you for having me. And that was Dr. Majid Allah Ansari, the official spokesperson of the Qatari Ministry of Foreign Affairs, speaking with me at the Doha Forum. A reminder that you can still expect our final episode of the year this Friday, where we're going to look ahead to 2024 and the many challenges facing the world in the new year, and the many, many elections, more than 70. In fact, my director's lecture on the 23rd of January will be about just that.
But for now, you can find all of our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or major platforms, as well as through our social media. So do like, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review, review of the year if you like. To read more from all our experts or to find out more about next year's events, don't forget to visit chathamhouse.org, where you can also follow the work of our Middle East and North Africa program. And finally, with Christmas very fast approaching, you could give the gift of a Chatham House membership this holiday to friends or family or colleagues. You can find the offer in the show notes. Goodbye from me, Bronwyn Maddox. See you on Friday.